Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. He had been there and he'd preached and he'd healed people and, and he'd loved the people of Jerusalem, but the people wouldn't respond to him. The, primarily the leadership wouldn't respond to him. Uh, but in spite of the fact that Jesus was opposed by the leadership of the city, when the Spirit came down at Pentecost, God did a mighty, great work through the church there in Jerusalem, then in the surrounding areas, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, if, you, if you know history of the time of the Roman Empire, you know that when, when Paul and, and, and the early churches were there in the Roman Empire, they had uh, emperors such as Nero, uh, Domitian, and others that uh, persecuted the church with a fury. And yet in the midst of all the wickedness of leadership in the country, God did a work through his people. Now I want you to know something. Our God can use us. He can work and move in this land, regardless of what may come. He's God. Uh, Jesus is not wringing his hands at what's going on in our country. Uh, he is completely in control. Uh, but the scripture says here in this chapter that we're looking at that uh, Elisha is taking over for Elijah. And what is he doing? Well, he calls uh, to Elijah as Elijah ascends in the chariot of fire. And he says, oh Lord, the, the horseman, the chariot of Israel. Um, and so Elijah is the chariot of God, the horseman of Israel. Uh, there is a spiritual battle that's being waged. And Elijah was the one he was waging it. Now he is gone. And Elisha has taken his place and has picked up the mantle. And the people recognize, the prophets who are watching, recognize that the spirit of Elijah is now upon Elisha. That Elisha is to fulfill the work that Elijah had begun. And so uh, the first thing they ask Elisha is, should we send out some people to look for Elijah? And Elisha says, no. And what do they do? They keep hounding him until he agrees. He kind of gets embarrassed and says, okay, go send them. Well, they don't find anybody. They look for three days, and they don't find anything, any indication of Elijah's presence. And they come back, and Elisha says, didn't I told, tell you not to look? <laughs> um, so they don't listen to him. The, first, the very first thing they ask him, they don't listen to um, then uh, the people of, of the city of Jericho asked Elisha. They said, look, our, our water is bad. Uh, our water has, has some kind of contaminant in it. Uh, people are killed from drinking it. Uh, the crops are not fruitful. Uh, even, even irrigation, it doesn't even work for irrigation. And can you do something about it? And so he says, give me a new jar. Give me some salt. And, uh, and he takes these things, and he goes out to where the water comes out of the city, and he pours this salt into the water, and he says, the Lord has declared that he has healed these waters. 
And, of course, at the time of the writing, uh, he says, and so these waters are still effective to this day. Then Elisha goes from there, where Jericho, to Bethel. Now, you need to understand something. Where Elisha is is a place that's a center of idolatry. Jericho is known as the center of idolatry. Bethel is known in this time as the center of idolatry. This is the place where the golden calf worship was taking place. Uh, and that is started by Jeroboam the first, and uh, is 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 referred to over and over and over again in the books of Kings, uh, and so Elisha is going to the center of wickedness, and there is this group of youths that come out, forty-two of them, and at first, you know, the Bible's kind of brief in the way it describes the episode. But at first, you might think, well, they're just teasing him about his bald head. But that's, that's not what this is about. They are the children. Uh, it uses three different words to show they're the offspring of the people of Bethel. So in other words, there's, there's a subtle point being made that just like the people of Bethel are idolaters, so these youths that come out to oppose Elisha are idolaters. And they are settled in their opposition to God and they're trying to minimize the role of Elisha in Israel. They're trying to make his words seem unimportant. And so they make fun of him. They say, go up, bald head. Some people believe that they, uh, they were actually saying, just like Elijah, you know, hit the road, Jack, and don't come back no more. Uh, you know, and, and there's, hit, hit the road. Uh, go up, bald head. And Elisha turns back and curses them in the name of the Lord. And two bears come out and maul all 42 of these guys. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I believe after that point, they listened to Elisha. <laughs> I believe so. Uh, there is some question how to translate uh, this, this phrase that talks about the youths. And... Um, I believe it should be translated worthless youths, okay? Some people translate it small children, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever in the context because how would 42 small children uh, be organized enough to go out and oppose a prophet? It just doesn't make sense. Uh, the word uh, na'arim is the word used to describe David when he fought Goliath, and it could be used to describe anyone as old as 30 years of age. So... Um, uh, the, the word that's used with it that means small or light, I believe is being used in one of the two senses that's used in Scripture in a figurative way to show that they were light and insignificant in terms of their value to the people of Israel. They were kind of the, you've heard the people call worthless, and of course we're not worthless in one sense because we're made in the image of God. But uh, because of their rebellion against God, they, they were insignificant to the plan of God. They were worthless to the work of God. And so Elisha confronts them, and the bears maul them. Now, this is a famous thing. You, you've probably heard some atheists talk about this scripture uh, and uh, not like it too much. But what you've got to understand is there is a battle going on for Israel. There's a war between idolatry and the worship of God. Now, we're in a different kind of war. It is a spiritual war primarily. 
Uh, and, and it is the war against the truth of God to the substitutes of this world. The lies of the enemy. And there's constantly this battle between these two things. And it's a spiritual battle. Waged in heavenly places. And we're to wage this battle with the truth of God's word. With the shield of faith that, we, that quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And we are to wage this battle on our knees. So, <clears throat> this is what's happening in this scripture. And uh, what Elisha is trying to get these folks to do is to face their national sin. Um, <clears throat> and that's the title of my message, Facing National Sin. We need to face our national sin. Well, you say, well, why does national sin matter to me? Because national sin results in national judgment. And if you live in the place where that is being judged, that's not a comfortable thing. So, <clears throat> we need to face our national sin. Um, so, look with me at verse 16. <clears throat> Then the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Since there are fifty strong men here with your servants, please let them go and search for your master. May the Spirit of the Lord, or maybe the Spirit of the Lord, has carried him away and put him on one of the mountains or into one of the valleys. He answered, Don't send them. However, they urged him to the point of embarrassment, so he said, Send them. They sent 50 men who looked for three days but did not find him. When they returned to him in Jericho where he was staying, he said to them, Did I tell you not to go? The men of the city said to Elisha, My Lord can see that even though the city's location is good, the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. <clears throat> he replied, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. After they had brought him one, Elisha went out to the spring, threw salt in it, and said, this is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. No longer will death or unfruitfulness result from it. Therefore, the water still remains healthy today, according to the word that Elisha spoke. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking up the path, some small boys, or you could call them some worthless youths, uh, came out of the city and jeered at him, chanting, go up, baldy, go up, baldy. He turned around, looked at them, and cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the children, or the youths. From there, Elisha went to Mount Carmel and then returned to Samaria. <clears throat> Facing national sin. So what sins should we face? Well, first of all, we need to face the sin of unresponsive listening. Unresponsive listening. He says, don't send them in verse 16. However, th that word gets you into trouble, doesn't it? However or but. Uh, I've had people sometimes they'll come out of the, the back of the church, you know, and, well, pastor, that was a good message, and uh, that really convicted me, but this is what I'm going to do. no. Uh, we adjust ourselves to the Word of God. And so, this unresponsive listening. These are the prophets. These are those who are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the land. 
and they are not listening to God. This is epidemic in our country. In the churches of our land, many, now I believe that those who are walking in the Spirit of God, those who are very committed to the church, there's some statistical uh, evidence for this. There's a significant difference in those that are committed to the Lord and committed to His church and serving God and so forth. But the vast majority of people who attend the church in America live just like the world. I had a, a pastor friend tell me, just about, now I don't ask people this question in case you're coming to me for counseling, but he asked this question, he says, he says uh, are you sleeping together when they come to him to get married? And he said, nearly everyone says yes. That's the, that's the situation we're in. Sex outside of marriage is rampant, adultery is rampant, perversion is rampant in our culture. Uh, we're, we're killing babies with abortion, and we're murdering the unborn. Uh, we, are, we are applauding the wickedness of, of rioters who are murdering and raping and stealing and destroying property. Uh, there's wickedness everywhere you look in this land. And we hear the word of God, and we don't respond to it. James said this, be ye doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is allergy, by the way. <laughs> My allergy medicine has worn off. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. <clears throat> We've deceived ourselves as a country into believing that as long as we go to church, as long as we call ourselves Christians, it doesn't matter how we live. And that is simply a lie of the enemy. <clears throat> you say, well, I thought we believe that salvation is a gift of grace. Yes, it is. It's a gift paid for by the blood of Jesus. Eternal life is free, but it costs Jesus a great deal. However, if you are going to walk with God, the Bible says, first of all, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So, True repentance is part of the decision of faith that we make to follow Jesus. And it will result in a change of life. And so, we're not perfect, but we are seeking to follow Christ. That is what repentance is about. And so, but it does make a difference as children of God with our joy with the peace of God, joy unspeakable and full of glory, peace that passes understanding. What about the power of God in the book of Acts? We don't see these things very much in our culture today because we are a disobedient people by and large. <clears throat> Unresponsive listening. If you will fear God and you will follow God in obedience, I'm going to tell you something. You will be blessed in your walk with him. I want to tell you, I'd rather be an obedient child of God, following him, facing some persecution, than to be doing my own thing. Because I want to tell you something. What matters in this life is Jesus. He's the one who brings satisfaction and joy. 
He's the one who makes a difference. As I've looked back over my life, and I've certainly not been perfect. Uh, God knows my family can give testimony. I'm not perfect. Um, but I can look back over my life and see the ways that God has blessed me. And I'm so grateful to God that somebody told me about Jesus. That somebody told me what God requires in his word as we walk with him. And so, uh, make sure that you are listening carefully to God. And that you're choosing to adjust yourself to the word of God. Don't say, well, yeah, that's a great message, but. Or, yes, that convicts me, but. No. Say, Lord, I repent of my sin by your grace. Fill me with your spirit. Live this life through me and, and help me to be the person you want me to be. And that is a start. What does he say in Chronicles? He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and what? Turn from their wicked ways. We won't see God heal our land in America until the churches of America repent of sin. So, Facing our national sin, the first thing we need to do, we need to face our unresponsive listening. Secondly, face our unfruitful living. Men of the city said to Elisha, My Lord can see that even though the city's location is good, the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. Now, just as in terms of context, God had told the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy, that if they obeyed his law, he would bless them, and the land would be blessed and be fruitful. If they disobeyed God, the land would be cursed and be unfruitful. They would have famine and so forth. And so what you see here is an indication of the judgment of God upon the people of Israel. This unfruitfulness in their agriculture is the direct result of the promise of God in judgment of sin. But these things are also a picture of what is yet to come. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us these things, these things in the Old Testament were written down uh, for us upon whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So uh, he takes a jar and some salt. Now salt was used in the sacrifices. It was, they called it the salt of the covenant. The salt that recognize the abiding, enduring effects of the covenant of God. Uh, the jar is used uh, in, in John. You remember Jesus' first miracle? What does he do? Canaan of Galilee changes the water into wine. And they've got these jars, these great big jars that are filled with water. And Jesus says, dip from these. And they're thinking, boy, this is the best stuff ever. And uh, something has happened. It's been changed on the inside. This is the picture that we have here. Uh, so to, to be fruitful spiritually, first of all, you need to have a relationship with God. You need to be born again. The reason some people aren't fruitful spiritually is they just simply don't know Jesus. One place Jesus said, bear fruits consistent with repentance. You say you're God's children, have you repented? Bear those fruits Show me the changed life. Show me the evidence. Um, and so, um, 
this idea of, of, of unfruitful living, well, it could be because you don't have a relationship with God, but it can also be if you, if you are a believer in Christ, a Christian, then you can quench the Holy Spirit of God through sin in your life that remains unconfessed and that you don't repent of. Uh, I heard a, a man one time, uh, he's, he's a pastor in a foreign country, I forget where, but he was sharing how that he had prayed that God would put a spirit of repentance in his church. And he talked about the, the consistent revival that was taking place in his church because people were quick to repent. Um, I actually put that on my prayer list after hearing this story. Lord, give us a spirit of repentance. Oh, what a blessing that is. You know, sometimes we think, whoa, I don't want to have to repent, you know, and, uh, you know, have to face sin. Who wants to talk about that? Well, listen, I want to tell you something. You ought to be excited to repent because repentance is the doorway to God's best. And so... Uh, as you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins. It's kind of like, it's not that you lose your salvation, but it's when you sin as a believer in Christ, there's a barrier between you and God. Just like when you have a fight with your spouse. Have you ever said, don't touch me? You know, okay? Because you're, there's, you can cut the tension, right? And, and, and there's a barrier there. You may be standing in the same room, but there's a barrier there that needs to be addressed. So the same thing is true in our relationship with God. As we confess that sin, the fellowship is restored. And then we choose genuine repentance so that we can walk with God. Uh, This is the doorway to fruitful living. The person that is living a fruitful life will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Gentleness, faithfulness, or faith, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You have a person with those fruits, they're going to keep the law of God and the the intent of the law automatically. Uh, This is the fruit. Also, fruitful living for a Christian will mean that, that you as a believer are a blessing to other people. It may be through your words. Uh, generally, there are either speaking gifts or serving gifts. And usually, you're primarily wired one way or the other. Uh, you primarily speak. You might have a gift of encouragement or showing mercy or something, something like that, where you, you are gifted to minister to God's people uh, to encourage them or to, if, if you're showing mercy, to encourage them in a difficult time. Uh, if you're gifted in service, then your service and what you do for other people will be done in such a way in the power of the Holy Spirit that you are a blessing and encouragement and you build them up through what you do. And uh, it's done with an attitude of love. And uh, I remember years ago hearing a story about a missionary who'd gone to a part of the world where you couldn't share the gospel openly unless someone asked you. And um, a lady one, one day asked her, why are you different? 
And, and she, I think the way she phrased it, she said, you have gentle hands. In other words, the way you deal with us is different. We can tell there's something different about you. What is it that's different? And you see, she was bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And as she served these people, they could see Jesus in her. That's powerful. And so this is part of the byproduct of fruitful living. And the person who is living in this fruitful way will be a blessing. The scripture says in one place, the words of the wise are a fountain of life for God's people. Um, you remember Dorcas in the, in the book of Acts? And uh, she is, she's making all this clothing for the widows and doing all these things. She was such a blessing and such an encouragement. Uh, people like that, you just can't get by without in, in the church. They're just the, the anchors and, and pillars of the church. And uh, she was such a blessing to people that when she died, they, they went and got Peter. They said, you've got to do something about this. We love this lady. She has made such a difference in our lives. And, and, uh, and he goes, and of course it was God's will uh, to heal her and to raise her up from the dead. And, and, uh, and, but, but she was such a blessing. This is the fruitful living. And you see, when the water is bad, when the water is polluted, that, that heart is not right with God. We've got to confess our sins and repent of that so that we can be fruitful. I want to tell you something. Our culture desperately needs spirit-filled Christians. Desperately. They need to see Jesus in us. They need to see the love of Christ in the body of Christ. Uh, it will make a profound difference, I truly believe. So, um, facing national sin, we need to face our unresponsive listening, our unfruitful living. Uh, thirdly, our idolatrous worship. Our idolatrous worship. Now, most of the people of the land were living in idolatry. They had uh, the golden calf worship at Bethel. Uh, they had uh, Baal and Asherah worship and moon worship, and, and especially Jericho was known for moon worship. Uh, and all kinds of idols they were bowed down to. Uh, and so Elisha is addressing this. Uh, but for us as God's people, anything that we put it before God is an idol. And so uh, our idolatrous worship comes when we begin to put anything before God. It can even be a good thing. It could be our spouse, or it could be our kids, or it could be our job, which is a great thing. A, a, job, a job's a wonderful thing. It's a blessing from the Lord. But it can become too important. Uh, God needs to be number one over every facet of our lives. We need to put him first. He ought to be more important than the party you vote for, right? He ought to be more important uh, than... Uh, I don't know, what, whatever it is that you do in your life, it, leisure activities, um, God needs to be number one. Anything else is idolatry. And so it, a person that doesn't yet know Christ is living in idolatry, right? Because God's not even on their radar. They're living maybe for themselves, maybe for some uh, priority that they have in their lives, but they don't know Christ. Uh, but all of us are, at one time or another, have been guilty of this sin. So, what do you do? Well, you confess that to God, obviously. You confess that to God, and you repent of it. And you ask God to give you a heart that loves Him. By the way, 
That's one of the greatest sins that we could ever do, is not love God as he deserves to be loved. You remember what God told uh, the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6? He says, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I don't know about you, but I have broken that commandment more times than I can count. So, idolatrous worship. But here's something that is really remarkable about this scripture that I think shows us something of the heart of God. Um, The Hebrew word there is repeated several times, more times than normal, in this one little section of scripture. There's an emphasis on the places that Elisha is going. Centers of idolatry. He ends in Samaria. That was a center of idolatry, right? Where Ahab and Jezebel had, uh, had promoted the idolatry throughout the land. And uh, God is sending Elisha to the wickedest parts of the country. To the darkest places of the nation. Why? Because God loves those people. And and that just shows you the heart of God. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his own love for us in this, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did you know that God knows everything about you? Every mistake, every failure, every sin, past, present, future. Nothing takes him by surprise. And he still chose to send Jesus to save you. He still drew you with his spirit. He still said, I love you and I invite you to salvation. This is the heart of God. Um, So, this idolatrous worship had to be addressed. Jericho, Bethel, uh, Mount Carmel, where the battle between Elijah and the prophets of Baal had taken place. Uh, Samaria, where Ahab and Jezebel had promoted Baal and Asherah worship. Uh, all of these are the places where God has sent Elisha. And by the way, Elisha was up to the task. Um, as Christians, we don't have to be intimidated by the wickedness of this world. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We can go and we can, in the name of Jesus, take the ground of the enemy in God's strength, not our own, but in God's strength, we can advance in the darkest places, in the most wicked places, we can advance in the name of Jesus. Praise God. God doesn't wring his hands and say, oh, did you hear what's happening somewhere? Such and such a place, I don't know what we're going to do. No, no. He is sovereign and he is able. You remember when Paul and Barnabas uh, went uh, to uh, Cyprus. And they're talking to a fellow named Sergius Paulus. And there is a a man named Bar-Jesus and also Elymas. um, And he is a sorcerer. And and he's trying to interrupt and, and distract from the witness and so forth. And finally, Paul just addresses it and rebukes him in the name of Jesus and says, because you are, are wicked and you're trying to subvert the plan of God, you're going to be blind. And this cloud descends on him and he's blind. 
And Sergius Paul says, boy, I, I think this is real. I'm going to put my trust in Jesus Christ. And he's saved. But this is the power of God that we serve. And so Elisha goes to the sinners of the most wicked places in the nation and he shines the light of Jesus. That little, little song you learned, and some of you are old enough to remember this. Uh, the, I remember this, uh, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Don't hide it under a bushel. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine, right? That's, that's great theology. <laughs> Just shine your light. Tell people what Jesus has done in your life. Tell them about the answered prayer. Tell them how, how you've seen God work in the lives of people that you love. Share what Jesus has done and how he's changed you. Tell them the message of Jesus and how he, he died for sin and rose again. And the hope that there is in him. People need to hear that message. It may be a dark time in our country, but it is never too dark that God's people can't shine their light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. I love it. So, we need to face our idolaters' worship, and then, finally, the disrespectful mockery. National sin. We need to face the disrespectful mockery. Now, I just mentioned how Paul and Barnabas uh, faced this... Uh, uh, mockery in the New Testament, but Elisha faces it. Now, this is, you have to understand, this is not just mockery of, just of your garden variety sort. This is a mockery that is intended to hinder the purpose of God. It's a mockery that is organized. 42 of these youths come out. And it says they come out from Bethel. And it uses three different words to show that they are the offspring of the people of Bethel because <laughs> you can tell the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, right? This is the wickedness that was there in Bethel. And so they come out to oppose Elisha. And they ridicule him. Go up, bald head. Or baldy is my translation. That's kind of funny. Baldy. Go up. There are people in our country who are ridiculing Christianity. Who are burning Bibles. Who are scoffing at the name of Christ. Who want to close churches. Listen, I want to tell you something. Uh, there have always been those who have been opposed to the cause of Christ. But I want to tell you something. Jesus is able. It's amazing to me, you know, over the years, uh, Hitler burned Bibles. Now Hitler has gone the way of history, and the church is still in Germany. I want to tell you something. We serve a God who's able. Many parts of the world where Christianity is vilely and viciously persecuted, it is exploding. China is one of the places. I mean, the church is exploding in China. They're persecuted. doesn't matter. God is just on them in such a powerful way. And, and the church is expanding. Listen, 
It is amazing what God is doing. I, I read, read a book a couple of years ago about what is God is doing in the Muslim world and how he is reaching people in some very unusual ways. A fantastic book and um, just shows the awesomeness of what God is doing around the world. Uh, there's a, a missionary who had given a, a tract to this young man and he'd wadded it up and thrown it on the ground and spit. I tell you what, that's pretty, <laughs> pretty emphatic. The next day he comes back and he says, hey, could you give me one of those tracks that you tried to give me yesterday? And he said, last night Jesus appeared to me in a dream and told me I needed to listen to you. Can I tell you, we serve a God who can overcome the most vile opposition. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Disrespectful mockery. It's intended to disrupt the purpose of God. Now in Elisha's case, he sharply addresses it. In Paul's case with Paul and Barnabas, he sharply addresses it. But the key is not necessarily the specific way that's being addressed. The key is that we listen to the Holy Spirit in the situations in which we find ourselves. Because God knows what to do. He knows where each person is. He knows what each person needs. He knows what the situation requires. And so we just need to listen to God. Now, it's, it's, it's neat that Elisha has the spirit and power of Elijah upon him. Right? That's how he's navigating all this. Isn't it interesting? He's going through all these things and all these problems and everything and just kind of seems to take it in stride. He's just putting his trust in the Lord. He's just walking by faith and uh, listening to God. And God is using him in a profound way. Um, Jesus said, if I ascend to the Father, if I go to heaven, I will pour out my spirit. By the way, just an interesting, fun fact. Joshua, the name Joshua in Hebrew, is actually the root from which the name Jesus comes from. Elisha is slightly different. Uh, Joshua means Yahweh saves. Elisha means my God saves. Both of them are types of Jesus Christ, are pictures of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus comes and ministers to a rebellious nation. And the power of his Holy Spirit is poured out upon his people. And you and I today go in the spirit and the power of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? It says we have the very power of the resurrection within us. This is the power from which we live and from which we serve. So if somebody mocks you, uh, don't let it ruin your day. They're, they're putting treasure in heaven for you, okay? That's what Jesus said. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Do a happy dance because what they're doing is they're laying up treasure in heaven for you. But recognize that a lot of times the people that are mocking don't know what they're talking about. I found that out to be the case more often than not. 
A lot of times the mockers don't really have a whole lot upstairs. They're just mocking because they're opposed to the purpose of God. But recognize that God can work despite the mockery. You think God's purpose was stopped here? No. God used the mockery of the youths to accomplish his purpose. Because now, everybody was listening to what Elisha was saying. No more bears, please. (laughs) Anyway, facing national sin. Listen, uh, as God's people, we need to face our own sin. That's kind of how I've been focused mainly. But as we, as I've challenged you earlier, as we pray and as we fast for our nation, let's pray that God will bring true revival to the churches of our land. Uh, that he will change our culture through the power of the gospel. I believe, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. The gospel is powerful. The word of God is powerful. Let's pray that God will help us share with boldness and unction with those around us who don't know Christ. And let's pray for this nation to turn back to our God. Ezra, uh, in the time after the captivity of Israel, he was a a priest and a prophet uh, who God sent to the people of Israel after they had come back to the homeland. And he saw that the people of God had been, been getting into sin and uh, had, had ignored the things of God and he just became so burdened he fell down upon his knees and he began to weep and he, he cried out to God confessed the sin of his nation Lord we have, have rejected you and we have ignored you and so forth and so on and, and uh, uh, his brokenness captured the hearts of the people of the land they began to come and pray with him and to be broken and to call out upon God and God sent revival and they stood out in the rain. No church building. Yes, you, we've got a COVID-19. We're sit six feet apart and all that. Listen, they didn't even have a building. But they didn't care. They stood out in the rain to hear the book of Deuteronomy. Because they were hungry to hear from God. That's what revival does. It changes hearts. Let's face our national sin and see what God will do. Father, we thank you for your word that you've given us. Help us to be faithful, Lord, to speak for you and to trust you and uh, to let our light shine. And God, I, I just pray for these who are gathered here, those who are watching on the internet, Lord, wherever they may be. Father, may you have your way in us. May your purposes be achieved through your church here in the United States and around the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your purpose cannot ultimately be stopped. Thank you for your mighty power. And Lord, thank you for your power to save souls. I pray, God, that as as people hear this, uh, that they would uh, make a decision today to turn from sin and to receive the gift.